friends, I remember just like yesterday, my first IEP for Ryan. We were leaving the comfort of early intervention services that were taking place in our home with amazing therapists, and we were off to the school district, and my husband and I were so nervous about the whole process and of course had heard different stories and horror stories and got some great advice from our support group and I can still see us sitting in that first meeting and the recommendations that were made and I was just uh, I think I was carrying grief on the inside and just so nervous and anxious There's a lot to learn about the IEP process, and we can learn every year. So today's episode with Elizabeth Bloom is IEP 101. So we're going to start from the beginning. She is a longtime educator with a passion for helping others, and she's the mother of a remarkable seventh grader who was born with Crohn's disease and has been diagnosed with a host of visual, auditory, sensory, and processing challenges. These challenges have significantly impacted her son's developmental academic progress. She has over 28 years experience working as a teacher, administrator, program director, and learning specialist. And it was the experience of raising a special needs child that led her to move out of the educational system and into the advocacy realm. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Take some notes. You'll learn a lot and We just hope that this is really practical and beneficial. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. We are welcoming Elizabeth Bloom to the show today, and she is an expert who is here to share about IEPs, but she's also a mom who's been through this process. And so I think you will greatly appreciate that and appreciate her point of view and what she's offering us today. I don't think we've done an episode just on the very basics of IEP. So if you are out there listening and you are just in the beginning phases of getting to know what this acronym is all about, this is an episode for you. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. So where do we begin? Already, I'll jump right in there. Once you're in the IEP process, the first thing that happens are the assessments. And we can go back and detail what happens before that as well. But say we're scheduled for our first IEP meeting. The parent is a key member of the team. And I want to stress that the parent is a key member. As the parent or guardian, your opinion, your contribution, your assessment is very, very, very valuable as part of the IEP assessment and part of the team goal setting. So I want to start off with that. I will emphasize that many times. And it doesn't matter if you know nothing. You can walk in having never been in an IEP before, never even heard the acronym. Um, IEP stands for Individualized Education Plan. And this meeting is held once an assessment is done and the testing is now revealing the findings to learn why this child is struggling. Now, a child can... A student can be struggling emotionally. They can be struggling behaviorally. They are struggling academically. Um, 
there could be a deficit that is an area of eligibility because they have a speech challenge or they are deaf or there's some suspected autism or a, a health issue. So there are many reasons why an IEP is requested and an assessment is done. But once you get into that first meeting, they're going to go over the assessment results with you. And you'll find that there'll be the school psychologist. There will be the teacher. Sometimes the principal is there. There's generally an admin from the special ed department, a resource teacher as well. And um, if you had an assessment done by a speech pathologist or you had an OT involved, they will be there as well. If this is a medically related, possibly uh, disability eligibility, then there would be a nurse or someone representing the disability that is suspected or, or uh, confirmed and then therefore represented. And so everyone sits around the table. The assessments are presented. And I do want to start off by saying that the parent has the right to request the assessments four days ahead of time, up to four days ahead of time, and should have a copy of those assessments, take a look at them, get some advice, at least be familiar with what what you're walking into. But say that you don't do that, that's okay too. You're, you're there at the meeting and there are no mistakes as a parent. You're learning along the way and this is a journey. And so once the IEP is opened, you'll learn that this really is a journey because the advocacy that's required to maintain the goals and maintain the forward movement is, is really, uh, it is a key part of the job as, as the parent in, in this IEP process. So I don't want to... Um, underestimate that point that the, that the parent should feel empowered and should recognize that, that they have a voice. The assessments drive the goals and the goals drive the services. And that is key information. So a good assessment will extract information that will show you a discrepancy. Perhaps the child has you know, strengths and the child has weaknesses that are underpinning lagging skills, if you will. So the lagging skills are preventing them from meeting their academic potential, or there's a behavior getting in the way. Why is that behavior getting away? Where is the lagging skill? Where is the, the challenge for that child? And so good assessments will give you a clear picture. There will be questionnaires of the teacher, um, of the parent as well. There'll be different rating scales that are done. And so all of that information will determine what the goals should be in the suspected areas of disability and the eligibility will be determined. So for instance, the eligibility of specific learning disability, that is one of the uh, 13 areas of eligibility. And a specific learning disability is the area um, where there is an, perhaps an auditory processing challenge, there, there is a visual processing challenge, there could be dyslexia, dysgraphia, um, dyscalculia. There's an area of, of, of processing challenges preventing the child from meeting grade appropriate standards. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. They may, they may say that there is not enough um, evidence of need. And a parent will say, this child's been struggling. The teacher says this child's been struggling. We've tried all the modalities available in the classroom under a free and appropriate education. That's FAPE, which is um, all children are guaranteed a free and appropriate education. And when a student is not able to 
meet the curriculum at the anticipated level, then there needs to be, you know, IEP evaluation and to see what, what areas so that they have access to learning in the same capacity as their peers. So it's really hard, but it's really important to emphasize, even though this touches on our emotions, our children's struggles, not to tote all their strengths, even though they're there. And I think it's okay. There is a place to talk about those things. And that question usually gets asked, tell me about your child, tell me about their strengths. But, but the, where they're struggling, where their deficits are, where there's blank holes is that's going to drive goals. And that's going to drive you to get services, which is what you're trying to get in the first place by calling an IEP. Most definitely. And I'm glad that you brought up that very vulnerable piece as a parent. You know, I can share this as a parent myself. So I am a parent, I am an educator by profession, and I am a parent who was scratching my head because my child wasn't developing and progressing. And I have a larger toolbox than most as a, as a professional. And I have taught children at all different levels. And certainly I've taught them to read and I've taught them math and, um, to see my own child not picking up the cues, not imprinting pictures and language and the building blocks of language in, in the typical way, and really being a failure to start, quite honestly, as a student, you know, year after year, the struggles of not being able to produce any work, of being the only child at open house whose work on the wall looks like it was done in the dark by a kindergartner and you're in third grade and, and the pride that my child had that he produced anything and my pride as a mother that my child produced something, you know, but then you look around the room and you think my child is not like the other children. I sensed it. I've experienced it. My child has had behaviors and emotions and heartbreak at night before bed. And teachers have told me he's not meeting his potential and all of those things. Uh, you know, hiding under the desk, all of these different behaviors that are uncharacteristic of a child who is moving forward in school. So that brought me to the IEP process as an educator saying, okay, there is more needed to be done here. And what do we do? So jumping into assessments, which I did for my son and, and um, you all who are exploring IEPs are finding out is that these assessments are constructive in that they're able to identify these weak areas and identify strengths. And as the parent, it is a vulnerable feeling to then have it laid all out there and a team of people that you feel could be evaluating you, could be judging your child, could be judging you. Because quite honestly, as the parent, you know, I can tell you personally, I read to my child voraciously. He has a hunger for knowledge that I could not satiate. And I would hold my finger along the line and try to get him to read with me on age appropriate books. And he would scream and yell and he would get so uptight. But if I read to him, he was thrilled, uh, but he could not apply reading skills, even though he was doing the reading remediation at school through the general ed uh, population, he was being pulled out for that every day. But that level literacy learning program that they were using was just reinforcing a system that didn't work for his brain to learn. And so that was reinforcing a, a negative relationship with reading, which we're still trying to undo now. But that said, his testing did show that there was some real lagging skills. And those lagging skills that are identified in the testing 
you take that information and you turn it into goals. What are our goals that we can establish for the student? A benchmark goal that is a growth-oriented goal that we don't reach too easily, but that we see as a goal that is a real potential for this child to meet in a six months, in a year, that sort of thing. And so the goals are put into place and the services come from the goals, which means that if you are receiving pull out for reading, for instance, or you're receiving push in for reading, or maybe your child has a paraprofessional who comes in and scribes for them or helps them with their attention and focus, redirects them. Those services, as they're called, are paid for through the special education fund. They are not general education dollars. And so when your child is has an IEP, an individualized education plan, that is under the IDEA, which is the uh, Individuals with Disabilities Act. And the Individuals with Disabilities Act has these 13 areas of eligibility for school-aged children. And then the services are pulled from that eligibility with special ed funds. And that's how the services work. Now, in terms of if your child's needing extra help and the school is resistant, because that happens too. So say the testing does not show something conclusive. Maybe the testing that they did was very nominal. Maybe it didn't dig deep enough. As the member of the IEP team, you have equal right to the other professionals there to say, I don't think you dug deep enough. This area seems to be an area of concern that wasn't explored. This area here shows some things that are questionable. I'd like there to be more testing done so that we can establish some goals because clearly some services are needed here based on on this information that the teachers have provided, that the questionnaires, you know, the student fills out a questionnaire a lot of times about their self-esteem, their own thoughts on their behavior, whether they internalize or externalize in how they emote. The same is true of the parent. The parent is asked to do that scale very often. Does your child have behaviors at home? What are you seeing? What are you not seeing? That is very key. It's very important as part of the process to understand the whole child. And the teacher does the same. What if the reverse happens where it seems like they're offering so much and you as a parent feel like, oh, oh gosh, I don't need, I don't know if I need all of that. What would you say? I think that it's a case by case situation. And the reason I say that is because you may have a seventh grader who really wants to go to art or thrives in PE, but those support classes that they're offering you with the support teacher are only offered at that time. And your child wouldn't be getting this extracurricular um, activity that they really benefit from. So it is a, it, it's a real taking a look at the child piece uh, child by child. Also the services that your school offers might not be tailored enough for your child. So for instance, my child, he has reading deficits and the program that they offered at the public school for his reading remediation wasn't uh, evidence-based and designed for a dyslexic student. So he was there day in and day out and there was no progress being made. And that's another thing about IEPs. As a member of the IEP team, you can call a, a team meeting anytime. And you should do so if you don't see progress being made, particularly after six weeks. Six weeks is always a good benchmark. If nothing is happening, you, you see that either the child's progress is declining or they've hit a plateau, or it just was really a failure to start, 
call an IEP team. The IEP teams are not just to do assessments. The, that's that's the one step. And then also there's assessments every three years. There's the triennial assessment. But if there's challenges and the IEP team should be talking throughout the year, no matter what, but if there's more needed than just the review of the goals, then anybody can call the meeting and say, let's sit down and talk about what's working and what isn't working. I really like the term lagging skills. I feel that it's, it's a term that everyone across the board can understand from lay people, you know, through to the, the academics. We have some lagging skills. How are we going to move forward with this skill building to support the student to keep moving forward and, you know, provide them with their right to faith? which is this free and appropriate education based on how they learn, because we are identifying how they're learning in the assessment. So let's say once an IEP is in motion, um, I'll get back to not having to sign it the day of, we'll get, I want to go back to that, but let's just pretend it's in motion. And you talked about that six weeks to kind of observe, to see if the student is making progress. Do you recommend that parents go in and observe whatever service their child is getting, whether it's OTPT, speech, a reading specialist, what have you, do you recommend that once or twice a semester, however the you know year is divided up or once a quarter or whatever it is, that you kind of go in and visit and see what's going on? How is a parent supposed to know for sure, except for on paper progress reports, or if their child is able to report to them what's happening. Yes, I understand your question. So I would definitely encourage parents to be as proactive as they feel necessary. And particularly if you have a nonverbal child, you know, or a child who has an expressive or receptive language challenge. So maybe you have a verbal child, but your child is really unable to communicate their experience or to synthesize the experience in a way to then share with you how to be proactive, right? That's challenging for most kids. So to have your ear to the ground, I think is very important as an IEP parent. And I will say that if you are seeing that your child is not making progress, the first thing I would ask to do is to see the logs because sometimes the team all be best intention, the OT, the speech pathologist, the psychologist, whoever they are, they may have such an impacted schedule, or they may have an IEP meeting that runs over your child's time and your child hasn't been to the OT in weeks. And that could be impacting the, the quality of the instruction because the instruction has a very specific amount of minutes per week, per, per month, whether it's individual, whether it's group, whether it's push in, whether it's pull out. And if they're not being adhered to, then your child's not going to meet that benchmark. And their chances of even trying to meet that benchmark are hindered. And so that's one thing I would do. Some schools will allow you to come in and observe. Some will keep you outside the walls. I always recommend everything in writing. Schools like to call you on the phone. They like to chat with you on the phone. I ask for everything in writing. Oftentimes I'll say, it's my way of processing information. My intention is to have a clear picture of what the school is offering, what they're suggesting, what they are asking of me moving forward. Because the, the IEP document is, is a very official document. And so I would say that if they're following the logs, if you're getting cooperation, if you're allowed to observe, 
And even if you're not allowed to observe, asking for documentation of what's working and what isn't working is within your right. You might get the cold shoulder from some teachers or, or administrators, but it is within your right to pursue communication, particularly if you have a child who is not able to advocate or represent themselves and or is not able to, to come home and tell you about it. Thanks for listening to part one of this episode. Check out part two for the rest of this conversation with Elizabeth Bloom. Remember, for more resources and stories, make sure that you follow this podcast. And if you are a mom seeking support and sisterhood, join our international community at wearebravetogether.org. Thank you.